0: I've
1: never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life.
0: She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you. The memory lasted forever. Wanted young, dynamic people to join our dog sledding family. All I know is that
1: it was like a shockwave going through my body. Su Fu first came to the Northern Territory on a Year 10 excursion, and it was a trip that unfortunately left its mark for all the wrong reasons. Sue returned many years later and discovered some life-changing truths along the way. My name's Jess Ong, and you're listening to a podcast from Spun, a live storytelling night in Darwin. My mum's been married
0: three times. And my dad's been married three times. And at one point, if you counted all the steps and halves, there was 13 of us in total. So from a very early age, I vowed to myself never, ever be a family lawyer. <laughs> so in 2007, I find myself accepting a role with North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, Naja, here in Darwin, as a lawyer, and not just any lawyer, but a family lawyer. And the only family lawyer for all the Aboriginal mob here in the Top End. So one day I find myself in the office and I'm sitting across from a client. He's the dad in the proceedings and next to him is his partner. We're working on some documents and I get up and leave the office to grab them from the printer and when I return I suddenly stop. I can hear raised voices coming in from within my office and I don't know what's happening. I slowly open the door and I ask, Is everything okay? And my client turns to me and says, nah, sis, we're all good. We're just arguing about you. I reckon you're Aboriginal. She's saying you're not. So go on, tell us. Are you Aboriginal? Now, this is not the first time I've been asked this question before. And with a last name like Foo, I can confidently reply, nope, we're not Aboriginal. Already asked my dad. And he looks up at me and he says, well, I think someone's lying to you, sis. So it has me going back. Who was the first Aboriginal person I ever remember meeting? It's Emma Penrith. It's year eight. I'm in high school in Tamworth, northern New South Wales. Now Tamworth, it's a pretty white country town. So when Emma rocks up on her first day at school, she can't help but stand out as the Aboriginal girl of our year. Luckily for me, she moves in just down the road. And we instantly become friends. And we dance and we sing and we cartwheel through the days together and we laugh late into the night. And little did we both know what we had was a friendship for life, one that would shape us well into the future. In 92, we take off on our Year 10 excursion. First stop, Cooper Cuperpedie. Second stop, Air's rock as it was known then. We get up in the morning, we're so full of excitement, we put on our sneakers and we're off to climb that rock. We race each other to be the first and we race straight past the traditional owners. And up we go and we get to the top and we jump up and down like giddy teenagers. And then we slowly make our descent. Now back at the campsite, Emma and I, we're still on a high. So we decide to go for a walk through the campground and a whole bunch of mates join us. Now, in that campground, there was lots and lots of Aboriginal people. This is something that we're not used to. And there's one boy in particular. He's clearly uncomfortable. Unfortunately, he chooses to voice it. And he says something that I will never forget, that word, coon. And he says it multiple times and before he's finished, there's laughter coming from within our group, but I am silent. And I turn and I look for Em, but she's already gone, she's bolted. And I take off after her and I run and I grab for her and we fall in a heap in the red dirt. And she is sobbing and she sobs and she sobs. And then she opens up to me in a way that she's never opened up to me before. She tells me what it's like to be her to be a black girl in a white school, to grow up in a black community with white friends and her struggle to find her place and how she feels that she truly doesn't belong in either world. Now, I've grown up with racism. It's been at my dinner table, down at the shops, in the schoolyard, in the sports field, it is everywhere. And if I'm truly honest, it's within me. But this is the first time that I have experienced and felt the real impact of racism. And I sat there in the dirt holding her as she cried. I cried too, not knowing how I could help her or what I could do. And then in year 11, well, Em leaves me. She's found love with a footy player. And she's taken up north to Darwin of all places. And two days before I start my year 12 year, let's just say, life slaps me across the face. I'm kicked out of home. And my world as I knew it would never be the same. The first person I go to is my auntie Di. And although I bounce from house to house throughout the year, the one place I find myself visiting often is my great-grandma Rosa's. Because this is one place that I feel welcomed and most of all loved. Because my great-grandma Rosa, she was one of a kind. She was as tough as they come. And so goddamn blunt and completely unapologetic. And man, could she swear, everyone knew my great-grandma Rosa. And well, she knew everybody's business. And every day, each and every hour, she'd spend out in the sun. And the age of 92, her skin was a beautiful tanned leather. When I'd visit her, we'd just sit out on the porch and we'd talk and we'd laugh. But most of the time, not much needed to be said at all. And I'd sit there quietly watching her in admiration as she rocked on her rocking chair. She once told me that I reminded her most of her daughter, my grandmother, that I'd never met. My great-grandma Rosa, she believed in me and that made me more and more determined because no one had ever been to university in my family and I'm going to get there and at the end of the year, much to my surprise, I get accepted into Sydney University Law School. So I pack up my bags and I head to the big smoke. I end up living in Redfern and after a few years, I finally find my feet in the world of social justice and every job I have, I end up having a strong pull to the Aboriginal community. And I'm at all the rallies. Well, Em, she's in Perth now, and we keep in contact regularly, but we see each other infrequently. And when we do, those times are intense. They're intensely good because I feel loved and accepted by her and all of her family. They're also intensely dark because I find myself back in Uluru in the red dirt witnessing racism. But now I see the impact not only on my friend but her family and working within the Aboriginal community, the broader impact. So in October 2006, I land myself my dream job. I'm flying in and out of remote communities, helping Aboriginal women. So I pack up my bags again, but this time I'm headed to Darwin. Two weeks after arriving, I find myself out at Yirrkala. Now this is the first time that I have ever been to a remote community. And I finish my day at court. And I find myself sitting under that big tree out the front of the art centre, cross-legged in the dirt with all the old ladies. And they're telling yarns. And they're laughing. And I'm sitting there quietly, watching in admiration, when all of a sudden I feel I've been here before. And I'm back on the porch of my great-grandma, Roses. Then one of the ladies, she turns to me and she says, You know, you're different. You're different to those other lawyers they send out here. And nothing further is said, for something changes in me. So I race back to the hotel. Now, I've asked my dad before, but I just need to know. I just need to be sure. I call him, but I choose my words carefully. And he answers, and he laughs. And he says, no, 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 we are not Aboriginal. So I decide to put it to rest. How could it be? And I accept it and move on. Five years later, I'm heavily pregnant with my first child. I'm still in Darwin, and it's one of those hot, wet season nights. And my auntie Di, she's flown up to help with the birth, and we're all sitting outside under the fans, sweating, and I am huge. A good friend of ours has joined us, and he's quizzing my auntie Di, and he says, "Auntie Di, go on, tell us where does the last name Foo really come from?" And so she tells him. And at first, I'm not really listening. But then I hear her say it, and they have my attention. And she says it again, and my heart starts to race. And I say, Who? Who? And she says, Great Grandma Rosa. And I look at her in shock, and I say, Great Grandma Rosa? Great Grandma Rosa is Aboriginal. Where? Aboriginal? And it's in that moment that I feel like I'm in the ocean. I'm being smashed by the waves and I can't find my feet. And the waves, they won't stop. They're coming hard and fast. So I grab for my partner's leg under the table and I squeeze it to anchor myself and I shut my eyes. It's all too much. I feel anger, but I also feel a sense of relief. And I'm so goddamn scared, but I'm also excited. So I take a deep breath in and I take a deep breath out and I calm myself and it is only then that my auntie Di realises I don't know. And she says, but I thought you knew. I thought that's why you chose the career you chose. I thought that's why you do what you do, isn't it? And I open my eyes and I look at her and my face is wet and all I can manage to do Shake my head from side to side. So after the shock of it all, the first person I call is Em. And I get on the phone and I say, Em, you won't believe it. Great Grandma Rosa. She's Aboriginal. I'm Aboriginal. And she says, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> I told you that, didn't I? And she probably did. She probably showed me in her own way. But she wasn't the only one who knew. Deep down, we both knew and, well, that was five years ago. And now I'm the mother of two beautiful children, a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old girl. And they know the truth. They know all about my great-grandma Rosa. And just last Christmas, I set up a craft station for them to make Christmas cards. And I lay out all the pa- paints and the stamps and the stickers and the decorations, and I left them to create. And My little boy came up to me. He had the biggest grin on his face. He was bursting out of his skin with excitement and he handed me the first Christmas card he had made and I looked down at it and I burst into tears and he says to me, you know, you know, that's the Aboriginal flag and I made it especially for
1: you, Mum. It's really boggling to think that the bits and pieces we tend to hide from one another are actually the best things about us. Sue shared her story at our event at Northern Territory Library earlier this year where the theme was uncovered. Now, if you like what you've heard this season and think you've got a story to share, pitch it to us. You can find out more on our website, spunstories.net. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lajlo Hassani, story production by Johanna Bell, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening.